I don't know if I like the terminology of do a Baskerville. That sounds like a very like dirty English like sex position. Like it does. Go, it feels like something that you would read on Urban Dictionary. Yeah, like it feels like something that you would like graffiti spray paint on a cow in Scotland or something. <laughs> go do a Baskerville. Welcome to unfortunately required reading as we discuss what doing a Baskerville might mean. <laughs> do we have to explain a uh, graffitiing on cows? So there is a YouTube video that I have to go back and find now. Of, mm -hmm. It was fake news. It's like mm -hmm. brass eye or something. And they were talking about these cows that were getting horrible messages painted in on their barns about how they were going to be food. And yes. then they stepped it up and they started painting like horrible things on cows. And I was dying just because <laughs> we're putting some pretty stupid things on these cows and I'm like yes that cow does not know what you just did <laughs> but the the inception of that was uh the the Edinburgh <laughs> the graffiti swan. against swans and ducks <laughs> that I'm going to include the link to there was somebody in Scotland who painted on the side of trash cans with this graffiti mm -hmm. Um, and they kept referring to the swan as a manky swan, and yes. they're, he cannot read. And my favorite is still posh duck who still eats the dirty bread. <laughs> and so now every goose is going to be a posh duck. Right, every goose and every swan is just a posh duck. Amazing. I, I sent that to Tori, and I'm like, this immediately needs to be seen. And we both agreed that uh, we love your people. I immediately I mean, sent it to my mom and she goes, this is the high quality information that I keep Twitter for. Good job. I don't know if that was the best meme. I still think the uh, mystery, the white mystery was the best meme of the week. <laughs> Do you want to explain that one? Sure. So uh, someone had posted on Twitter um, some people's uh, 23andMe results and they, it was a picture of the Airheads uh, mystery white flavor. <laughs> it's like, that's very true. <laughs> It's like sometimes you're just mystery white and that's okay. That's that's fine. And my mom did one of those ancestry tests and it's basically just like British Isles. Right. And I'm like, and like, yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. I still have mixed feelings about those because as much as like I would love to know like what part of Africa I was spirited away from, I also like kind of don't care. And I feel like any like non-black blood that I find in me is nothing to be proud of. <laughs> Like, I know what one of my cousins did it, and there was, like, a shocking amount of Irish in our lineage, at least, like, on my mom's side. And it's, like, that would be fun if I feel like that came from anything good. Yeah, if we felt like that came from something consensual. Right, like, if that came from, like, <clears throat> some more recent cousin who, like, just really, really got down with a kilted dude, then, like, sure, be free. But, like, <laughs> we don't know where this came from. And considering it's such a small percentage, I'm going to go ahead and wager to bet that it wasn't great. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be uh, celebrating my birth month. Yay! Yay! And uh, we're starting with uh, The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, where I try not to talk about the fact that he may have faked a uh, British ancient ancestor. I, I want to know more about this. I just know a lot about his spiritualism stuff. You know about Piltdown, man. Oh, okay. 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, so you know about pills. Yeah, we'll you need know to about explain pills. Explain that a little bit. Later. Oh god damn it! Yeah, no, but, you um, don't have to do it right now. But <laughs> no, obviously not. But like, I'll, I will try not to spend the entire episode talking about wishbone and pillstone. <laughs> no, you talk about wishbone all you want. So, so for those great. of you who were not alive as children in the 90s, there was an amazing TV show where they had a little Jack Russell Terrier that mm-hmm. they would dress up in costumes and he would mm-hmm. reenact famous works of literature. Mm-hmm. And there is an episode of the Hound that's basically the Hound of the Baskervilles, but it's also Wishbone trying to figure out who the dog is that's framing him mm-hmm. for knocking over trash cans and spilling paint and eating deck furniture. Yes. And... For those of you who don't know, this is where I get to flash some North Texas pride. Wishbone was shot a lot in North Texas, like a shocking amount. The fictional town Wishbone is set in is set in Texas. Um, and Wishbone is buried in Texas. His real name is Soccer. Oh, <laughs> Soccer. Yeah, his real name is Soccer. He died at 13 in 2001. And he's buried in Plano. So road trip to Plano. Got it. He's buried on his owner's lawn, so you cannot visit him. Okay. What is the horrifying demon cat behind you? What? The stuffed oh. animal. Yeah, that's Goose from uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Captain Marvel. <laughs> I don't like it. Ah, no, I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> the Flurkin Flurkin? Yeah. <laughs> Because, like, I know all of your real cats. I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> that is not a real animal. That is not a real animal, and it looks demon-possessed. Speaking of, would you like a demon update? Sure. Oh, have you not heard my demon troubles? No, you have told me, but I don't think anybody here knows what you're talking about. So, I've recently been accosted potentially by a demon. Uh, I keep waking up with scratches, and uh, nothing's gone missing yet. But um, last night I was on a live stream and I asked, are there any demons present to my ghost app? And I got group and I got everything, which (laughs) Tori's face is like, leave the house. Oh, and then I closed the app and I was still on live. And the word I got back was stream. And it's like, oh, I'm on a live stream. It knows what I'm doing. And my friend who's on the stream with me is like, you need to get the fuck out of there. It's like, you need to leave. (laughs) The power of Christ compels you, like. Yeah, I, uh, I made, the, the, the impetus of this is that I asked my ghost app, like, a week or so ago, are there any demons or spirits present? And I got, a uh, steel, darkness, <laughs> shadow, and it's like, oh, cool. There you are. Why are you here? Um, so I may or may not have a demon. I have a holy water in a Dr. Pepper bottle in my fridge because I'm a Texan. Um, a Catholic Texan. A Catholic Texan, um, but a Texan first. <laughs> I have rosaries, and I only have one that's been desecrated. There's only one that isn't holy. I like that this is your justification. There's only one that isn't holy. The three good ones are in my bedroom by my bed. So... I have a demon, which is a uh, fun. I guess we should name it or figure out what its name is. Do we have but, um, to? Huh? Do we have to? We I want the, to. Get a priest in there? 
all the priests are busy. There's a pandemic. I can't have a priest over. I have to priest this myself. I have to be the priest. This, this feels like the start of the exorcist. I get to be the priest. Um, Tori, you, you while holding a butter knife. <laughs> I am the priest now. I'm like, how Tori, do I screenshot do you... that? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, with me and the knife? We can take photos later. Um, do you approve of my creative title? Yes, now Thank I do. You. Oh, now you do. It is, who let the hound out? Because that's my question through the entire thing. It's just, what, what is this doing here? Um, what are we drinking? Port. We are drinking port. Uh, How many drink- times have we made bad decisions on port? A couple times. Oh, we say one. Still nothing compared to, to mead and mead. Beowulf. But oh, in my man. defense, that was just my Viking roots. This is true. Uh, I think we're actually now drinking the same port because I got mm-hmm. a Sandeman, so. Yep, that's what I'm drinking. Oh, it still tastes like communion wine. It does. It does. Uh, oh, after, God. like, the first four sips, you're kind of like, okay, whatever. I mean, after the first four sips of most things. Um, I requested a howda. Was a howda received? Okay, you're going to make fun of me, and that's okay. This is all H-E-B had at ours. So I got a Beamster smoked howda. And they I had, got, you got a tub of howda. I got flavored cheese wedges. Smoked. I also pizza. got mine from. I also got <laughs> mine from AGB though. Yeah, but yours is like better stocked. I guess. Uh, so they had two Beamsters howdas. One was like, I'll show the camera. So one is like this color, obviously, and one was like the shade of this rind. It looked like beef jerky. I was concerned. Like, did someone leave this one? Was this the Hakarl of smoked howda, where this was just left to rot in the smoker? We're just going to leave this here and see what happens. We're oh, just gonna we got to ship it out. It was so dark. And, like, this almost, it smells like the bacon cheese from Whole Foods a little bit. I'm like, this is very smoked. I'm a little concerned. I Are you pretty sure it's still on fire? You miss bacon? I miss the bacon cheese. Oh, I've still been eating bacon. Do not worry about me. But like, I do miss, I do miss uh, the bacon cheese from Whole Foods. We're like, this isn't the most smoky. And it's like, ma'am, this is, <laughs> it's still warm to the touch. What do you mean? Uh, so we're drinking port because it is uh, said in the text that Sherlock after dinner often drinks port. Um, we didn't choose something that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle drank because I feel like if we're going to start repeating these things, it better be fun for us. So Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a bit of a wino, uh, but if we're going to drink wine, like let's at least let it be like a fun experience for both of us. So I know we both liked port, uh, judging by how drunk we were on those episodes. We both clearly like port. Um, but yeah, like I will say, Moving forward, as we continue on uh, with covering and drinking writers and stuff like that, you will probably start to notice some overlap with things that we drink. Uh, it's not because we lack creativity. It's because, one, we're in a pandemic. And yeah, it's hard to find a lot of things that normally we'd be able to walk into a store and just be like, woo! Right. Also, like, it just doesn't feel responsible to do that. Right. Like, yes, I could make five trips to Total Wine and get everything I need for one single cocktail, I don't feel responsible doing that. Right. 
Um, two, a lot of these writers that we're covering, especially sort of like pre-modernity, all drank the same thing because that's what was available. We will try to uh, mix things up, pun very much intended. Uh, thank you as we can but like if i'm i'm saving us from the comment that i'm sure we'll get which is having all drank a lot of port you're right we have bite me that was like upper class <laughs> after dinner drink right it was so you know what bite me we're drinking port uh which i think needs to be a mask well no if it's mature content it can't be a mask which is why so many of our designs can't be masks our store has masks Yes, so the Redbubble store, Amanda has been amazing and has put together some masks. Um, you can find, obviously, our logo of Unfortunately Required Reading, and I think you did white tears as well. I did do white tears. So, if you're going to be out and about protesting, there is a white tears mask. There is! Oh my god, I would die. I would actually die. So yeah, um, that's actually one of the reasons why a lot of our designs aren't on a mask, is because one, either I don't think the design would look good, or two, it's mature content. And for whatever reason, Redbubble is like, no mature content on a mask. It's like, but why? But I don't think you're going to get close enough to see it. <laughs> like, like the ones that have the penis designs that you, like, once you get close, you're like, that's not a flower. <laughs> that's not an artful dinosaur. <laughs> But also, like, real talk, if I want that on my mask, like, just be glad I'm wearing a mask. Uh, as you all know by now, uh, we live in San Antonio, where um, we're not as bad as Houston. Or Dallas. Or Dallas. Sorry. Setting <laughs> unison. But. We're not good. It's scary as hell. I have had more things canceled in the past few weeks and we're talking things that are months out we're not right. talking like this is next week and oh we're going to be responsible we're talking like <sighs> our pageant was canceled our pageant was canceled um and that was in fiesta was September. canceled fiesta which is the biggest celebration out here every year was canceled right. in april and moved to november and they canceled november right our national night out celebrations are in october those yeah. have all been canceled by the city. Like, they, San Antonio is not fucking around right now. Well, and I mean, and part of that is because we had people fly into Lackland who were some mm -hmm. of the first people who were infected. So we have a lot of people who are very well versed in a, you can't mess with this. Mm -hmm. This is not a hoax. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and for, and if you're listening outside of the state of Texas, um, the state fair was also canceled. And I think you guys need to understand is that these are things, both Fiesta and the State Fair, that have not seen cancellations since like World War II. Right. Same the thing last in California. There's a, the Orange County Fair got canceled as well. Right. They haven't canceled since World War II. Like, I think you guys need to understand that the last thing that stopped the party was Hitler. <laughs> and now this pandemic. I think that's a pretty big deal. Um, so if you're still, for whatever reason, not taking this seriously, first of all, fuck you. Sorry. It's my birth month. I get to do that. Uh, second of all, take it seriously. Um, because I would like to be able to celebrate Halloween. <clears throat> but it does mean that essentially I get two birthdays because I can't really celebrate this month. So I essentially get to have another birthday next year. So uh, we're drinking port. We have how to, um, we're going to go talk about a dog in the woods. Am I correct? Or 
what Mayor Schrodinger's the Moors. Oh, the Moors. What <laughs> the Moors. The Schrodinger's uh dog in Moors. Okay, so short story long. Mm-hmm. Holmes and Watson start the story by trying to figure out who left the cane in their office using powers of observation, a.k.a. Watson, look at the stick. Tell me what you... Right. Think. Using the powers of observation, your goddamn eyes. <laughs> it turns out it belongs to a guy named James Mortimer. Holmes calls out a book at, er, that's in Mortimer's pocket, which turns out to be an 18th century manuscript about the gross, lecherous Hugo Baskerville, who was a total dick. He captured a young girl in the country at his estate. He then got torn apart by a giant hellhound on the moors. So what's the important thing here that they skipped in Wishbone? Lacherous, uh, sexual okay. assault is not okay, well, and it curses okay. your entire family. Please explain to me how Wishbone would have added that in. They couldn't. I love it. They're in the episode. They're like, he did a bad thing. And then they move on <laughs> to the next part, and I'm like, well done. Um. Anyway, after the whole being torn apart by a hellhound, it's said that the Baskerville lion of men have been stalked by a supernatural black hound anytime they're out on the moors alone. So don't mm -hmm. do that. As Sir right. Charles Baskerville has just bit it, suspicions about the legend have come back. The next of kin, a Canadian named Henry Baskerville, is in London, preparing to go to Baskerville Manor to take over the hall. He's already received a weird note compiled of newspaper clippings like a serial killer note and the theft of one of his brand new shoes. Oh no. Home takes the case, and they soon discover Henry Baskerville is being followed by a mysterious bearded stranger. Is it a ghost? Is it a friend? Is it an enemy? Holmes just says he's way too busy to go hang out with Mortimer and Sir Henry in Devonshire, so he sends Watson, which first of all is fucking rude. But that's very that. rude. Um, and he's like, Watson, just send me letters. Tell me what's happening. So Watson's like, what the hell? Fine, I'll go, because that's just Watson. Anyway, mm -hmm. Watson finds out that there are armed guards in Devonshire waiting for an escaped convict who is wandering the moors. He meets Mr. and Mrs. Barrymore, who act as the domestic help at Baskerville Manor, and also a Mr. Stapleton and his sister Beryl, the neighbors. Mr. Barrymore gets caught wandering the mansion at night, and Watson sees a random person wandering around the moors, and he also hears what he thinks is a horrible hound. Beryl Stapleton gives Watson a warning, saying that Sir Charles totally met up with a local woman named Laura Lyons on the night he died. Gasp. Watson finds... Gasp! That's not your wife. Watson finds out that Barrymore is nightly going out to help an escaped convict that everybody's looking for, who is actually Miss Barrymore's brother. Watson interviews Laura Lyons to see if he can figure out how she's involved, and he finds out that the weird figure wandering the moors is Sherlock Brayton Holmes. Too busy, my ass. Mm -hmm. Holmes says he's hidden, so not to tip off the villain, and he reveals how the pieces of the mystery fit together. Mr. Stapleton is, in fact, next in line to inherit the house. Laura Lyons was used as a pawn to request a meeting with Sir Charles, and then she didn't show up. Having been lured out onto the moors, Stapleton releases his vicious dog on Sir Charles, who had a heart attack because he was freaked out about the dog superstition. Holmes mm -hmm. and Watson use Henry Baskerville as bait to catch Stapleton in the act. Even though fog slows them down, Holmes and Watson subdue the dog, which they shot it. And Stapleton flees, but drowns in the marshland on the moors. Oops. Beryl, it's discovered, was not Stapleton's sister, but in fact his wife. Gasp. Gasp. She's found tied up in the house after refusing to participate in Stapleton's scheme. 
And mm -hmm. because we can't have loose ends, Holmes advises the shoe was stolen to give Henry sent to the dog. And Beryl wrote the warning note because Stapleton was cheating on her with Laura Lyons. Boom. Case closed. Um, okay, so first of all, fuck Sherlock for just stalking around in the moors. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to send my assistant. And they're like, okay. And he's like, surprise, bitches! I don't That's, know. Uh, that feels very I, Sherlock, though. In, like, all of the ways that I hate him. <laughs> in all of the ways that I hate Sherlock. Because, uh, fun fact, if you've ever listened to me uh, screech like a harpy, I have a very complicated relationship with uh, this source text, which is why I wanted to cover it, because I felt like it could be a rich discussion. Um, we find that episodes of this podcast are better when we either hate the work or disagree. Um, even though I still think that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern was quite good, um, especially considering that we ended up in a time loop with a coin curse for a minute, which I still think is our finest moment. Oh, <laughs> but, oh my gosh. Go get your daughter. Make her get the coin. I, should we? Did we explain that during that episode or after? So we put that on the Instagram. But basically, what happened was, um, Amanda was pretty sure that we were caught in a time loop. Yeah, wasn't it your coin kept coming up heads or something. Yeah. So I was uh, flipping a coin to figure out lunch, and because I'm a fat ass. <laughs> And I just, I idly kept flipping and like, I got heads like three or four times in a row. And I was like, no, 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 no. So I messaged Tori like in a panic and it's like, fetch your child. We need a coin. So and I'm we, like, okay. Right. Uh, and I actually think the first time you flipped, you also got heads, which <laughs> gave us both small heart attacks. Yes, and then it came up tails, and we're like, okay, curse is broken. It's like, oh, thank God. Um, but first of all, fuck Sherlock for just being out in the moors. Also, I've Googled uh, the moors, and as many nice things as I have to say about Scotland, and hopefully uh, my future Scottish husband, why the fuck would you be out here? I mean, for a lot of it, you didn't have a choice. You were a lot of times a servant in a rich person's house, and they wanted to be away from people. Ah. But, I mean, the Moors are like a character unto themselves. Like, they're, I mean, sure. <laughs> it's kind it of just, like grasslands as far as the eye can see, but not but like, not like Serengeti grasslands, just like green land going out. And there's a lot of times there are bogs, which I've fallen into a bog while walking through the Moors. Yay! study abroad um i was queen of the bogs and my friend was princess bogatha because we both fell in but it was fine we went swimming in this like this bay on the island of mullen we were good um you are such a nerd damn it was great i have a picture of myself if i can find it i'll post it on the instagram of me basically standing out on the moors throwing my arm out yelling heathcliff i think i hate you I mean, I've never, I've never seen a bog or been to a bog. I have seen my fair share of swamps. Um. It's kind of like a small localized swamp. So when they're talking about the fact that Stapleton probably drowned in the marshland, I can see why. Because oh, you yeah. kind of step down and you're like, wait a minute, that's not ground. <laughs> 
I mean, I've seen a lot of documentaries on bog bodies. So, I mean, like, I understand the stuff. I just, I'm a Texan and we don't have moors here. Um, We have planes. We do have planes. Um, I mean, like, they look very nice, but also, like, incredibly inhospitable. And why the fuck would you live here? Um, But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We do have uh, some themes and some symbols. Am I correct? Yes. So, uh, yes. one of the things that we, I mean, we already kind of talked about before is here. Um, mm-hmm. This, so Edgar Allan Poe actually gets credit for creating the first detective novel. There you go. Yes. But Doyle is the one who popularized it. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, he has a lot of reality versus supernatural, which is really interesting because at this point in time, when this book came out in 1902, he was already lecturing mm-hmm. about spiritualism. Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, he was already popular to the point where people were like, wait, did Sir Arthur go to Doyle go crazy? Like, what happened? Yes. Um, and so he was very big on, this is my rational mind. I'm very logical. I was trained as a doctor. And I'm talking about Doyle. I'm not talking about Sherlock Holmes in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was very much like, most things have a rational explanation, but spiritualism does exist. So mm-hmm. you see a little bit of that in this story where it's like you have this very detailed myth of this mm-hmm. spectral hellhound. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it's, oh, but it's actually this dog. And let's ha- see how we use myth to scare people to the point of heart mm-hmm. attack. Like, right. It's basically Scooby-Doo. Yeah. This is a very <laughs> Scooby start to Scooby-Doo. Yes. Right. Oh, Mr. Stapleton, like right, like it's it's very proto Scooby Doo because yeah, like you're right. There, a lot of his works do have this like air of oh well, maybe it's a fanzom. No, it's just some old hoe. Like it's well, just it wasn't there's there's one that's like a whole one about vampires, and really it turns out that it's just this woman who's trying to keep her son from being poisoned by some bug or snake. Yeah, or- there is there is a vampire one. Like there's a lot of his work that's like. It, yeah, like, it just feels like a bad Scooby-Doo episode where it's like, oh, no, the ghost stole my kid. And it's like, it's not a ghost. It's just some dude you don't know. Like, it's, and and we all, cultures do that. We, we, we come up with myths and legends to help explain things that we don't like explaining. But I think, like, using myth as a means to cover up nefarious deeds, I do think that there's something interesting in that, like, I would be fascinated by, like, someone in the swamps, like, using the cover of, like, the Rougarou to, like, be a serial killer. Ooh, that'd be cool. Right. Like, I could 100% see that, almost like, um, that one guy in Germany who said he was a werewolf, and he, like, wore Peter wolf Curtin. skins. No, Peter Curtin was the... It's like, I think it started with a... What was his name? German werewolf. I was like... I'm afraid of what I'm gonna get, Google. Peter Stump. Ah, Peterson. Okay, I was like, wait a minute. Curtin I'm afraid was the one who was like claiming to be a vampire. So I am horrified of what I'm going to get if I finish the search term "German werewolf." What horrible kind of pornography I will receive! <laughs> so on eBay for a long time, there was like this giant ring, and it was this whole thing that if you bought the ring and you used it, you could call upon your own personal werewolf. And there was a picture of the guy, and uh-huh. it turned out it was some dude from gay porn, and he's like. Um, that's 
not accurate, but okay. But I mean, like they were asking thousands of dollars for this and it totally looked like one of those rings that you'd get in like um, a kid's party bag. Like That sounds awesome though. Um, which also brings us into my uh, very deep conversation I have about lycanthropy with Tori. <laughs> because, in a, so I have a book on alchemy because of course I do. Um, <laughs> I love that that was not a question you had. <laughs> No, that was not a question at all. I'm like, oh, this seems like something Amanda would have on her Yeah, so I have a book on alchemy and I was going over the planets because I've been doing some soul searching and like trying to figure out like why I have certain attachments to things. And um, under the uh, tincture of the moon, they list like some of the ill effects that can happen, you know, when you are in balance with the moon. And actually, I like this book a lot because a lot of it is rooted in like real tangible alchemy that you can do it feels a lot like witchcraft like oh you can go out and like collect dew and you know help that make your philosopher's stone like it's actually pretty tangible material alchemy which is why it was such a shock that under like imbalances of the moon they still list lycanthropy like that's just a thing (laughs) that can happen to people still even though in the dsm at least four i don't know if it's still in five lycanthropy is still under a psychosis so i mean but that was hilarious it's like ah yes i can suffer from depression melancholy or i can be a goddamn werewolf um or a depressed werewolf i guess a werewolf with depression i mean i mean don't all werewolves have anxiety you know what real talk if i was a werewolf I would revel in it so much. I'm a monster. Um, but like that was, I don't want to talk about the bad woman, but like that was something about Remus Lupin that I never understood. It's like, just embrace it. You have a regular schedule. It's like a period. Like, you know exactly what's going to happen. Why are you shocked every time? So because we're going to go into hierarchy and class structure, there is a very interesting book that I read at one point in time that said that the reason the vampires are like, the sexy serial killer and mm-hmm. um werewolves are like the violent vicious one is because mm-hmm. that's what we see in real life you mm-hmm. the vampire is seen as the elegant intelligent serial killer the the mm-hmm. one who plans everything out mm-hmm. so it's very much like the Hannibal Lecter and that's where attracted to and that's usually mm-hmm. comes with wealth prestige and the ability to get out of things mm-hmm. however the werewolf is considered to be the um, impoverished, the person who does not plan, who just acts with um, anxiety and frustration, that kind of thing, which Mm -hmm. again, totally a class structure thing, which is why vampire movies do very well and werewolf movies traditionally do not. Okay, but also werewolf movies tend to be bad. They do. Like, I'm not gonna put that on vampires. Like, I, as a longtime vampire, I will not accept this classist argument that you've lobbed against our people. Um, werewolf movies also just tend to be bad. And because it also tends to be so random and capricious, there's no romance behind it. Like, there's a romanticism and an exoticism to being a vampire and an eroticism to it. There is no eroticism to being a werewolf unless you really like nodding. <laughs> Unless you're super into nodding in the Omegaverse, there is nothing erotic about werewolves. (laughs) And if you are super into nodding in the Omegaverse, one, I'm not here to kink shame you, but two, we're also not going to get that in a movie. (laughs) True. So, So, 
hierarchy and class structure in this. Um, yes. You see this system of passing on to the next male of the generation, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Where this gets really complicated, I, it, for, for the most part, in Britain at this time and before, it was the next oldest male in the family. Mm-hmm. Where it gets complicated in this is the fact that the next relation is actually from another country. So mm-hmm. this class structure doesn't seem to apply to him. Mm-hmm. He's wealthy, he can get away with things, but at the same time, he doesn't play by the traditional rules. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very respectful with Beryl. He wants to date her and marry her, and to that part, he's very kind. But at the same time, he's like, I'm going to go here and do this. I'm going to do this. We're going to eat mm-hmm. it this time. Like, he's not part of this structured class. Like, the fact that um, Stapleton is very much like, I have to knock this guy off in order to inherit, because otherwise there's no way that this is happening. I'm mm-hmm. not getting anything. I mm-hmm. thought that was fascinating. Yeah, it's... um. I think the class argument in this is interesting, but you also can see um, Sir Conan Doyle really struggling with how to approach class and such like that. Um, I suppose more so in a scandal in Belgravia where um, he just jerks off and waxes poetic about the entire thing. (laughs) I, I don't know if I like him as a person. And I don't know if I... So we're going to talk about Wishbone for a second before we talk about Wishbone more. Um, I love that Wishbone made this approachable because as a kid, there was a part of me that did truly love mystery stories, which is why I love serial killers now. But I feel like if I had to read this as writ for any part of school, I would hate this because it's just a pompous, tired man and the mystery is boring because of course it's man it's always man well i think what's interesting about this too is you can definitely see that doyle style much like dickens is informed mm-hmm. by the fact that they're paid by word they're paid by right page. so right. even when the majority of this story is wrapped up mm-hmm. there is he's still, still going details and he's still have it's still going um, right because that's how you got paid at the time. You mm-hmm. serialized your work and then it came mm-hmm. out in a volume because mm-hmm. that's how you could maximize profits and continue to live. Right. And me, and there's a portion of me, of course, that understands that. Um, also, side note, apparently Phantom of the Paradise is just on television regularly. Really? Yeah. Who the hell is watching Phantom of the Paradise in the middle of the Christian light? Do I have to explain about Phantom of the Paradise? I I would do so, because I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, so you know Phantom of the Opera. Uh Uh-huh. So Phantom of the Paradise is a, like, rock version of the Faustian legend a little bit, but also kind of Phantom of the Opera. It's done by Brian De Palma. I've never even heard of this. It is, you know Brazil? Yes, I do know Brazil. It's like Brazil. The movie I don't know Brazil. If that's an endorsement, or you're trying to get me not to watch it. <laughs> to be determined. Um, but yeah, so basically, it's a Faustian legend, also kind of wrapped up in Phantom of the Opera, 
directed by Brian De Palma, and it's a rock version called Phantom of the Paradise. And it's just on in the Christian daylight, which, cool, I guess this is where we are now. I'm sorry, I was looking for background uh, images to watch while I record, and I happened to see that on Hulu, who is not yet a sponsor. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like you can definitely tell that he got paid by the page because it's too long and it's boring most of the time. And I say boring lovingly, it's perfectly fine. I like mysteries a lot. I like figuring things out, um, which is also why I think I find Sherlock as a character, I have a love-hate relationship with him. Will we talk about how much I hate the BBC show? Yes, we will. Cool. So that's class. Um, do you want to talk about some awkward race stuff? Yeah. So there's a part where they're talking about the different types in the uh, letter that Beryl has sent, that we find out later Beryl has sent, mm-hmm. and about how, oh, I recognize this is from the Times, and this is from this, and this is from this. Mm-hmm. And at one point in time, somebody says, oh, it's like my hobby of studying the differences between the Eskimo and the Negro. Tori, and I'm would going... Like to, Tori, would what? you like to read my comment that I left on that section of the outline? Um, it has been crossed out, but it says, tired black queer screeching can be heard distantly in the background. Yeah, so uh, that's pretty much how I feel about it. What they're essentially talking about is... Um, either sort of like a social eugenics kind of thing, which is very, very uh, in vogue during the time, or a smidgen of phrenology, um, which you see a lot more in Django Unchained. Um, (laughs) Because I will bring up Django Unchained whenever I can. Every given opportunity. And I support this. You still haven't seen it. I still haven't. (laughs) You still haven't seen it. Uh, That's my birthday present that you can give me. You need to watch Django Unchained, and I want you to live tweet it. Um... I want, I want, I want 30 tweets about Leonardo DiCaprio being absolutely insane. Um, so that was awkward and of the time, which will also get us to Piltdown Man when we get there, because there is this obsession with studying races and schools. And I don't think that Conan Doyle was a racist in the way that he believed in supremacy, but I think he was the racist in the way that everyone during this time was racist. Is that a fair assessment? I think so. I don't okay. think he was actively like, let's form the KKK in Britain. But at the same time, he was... And that part of that has to do with, with his spiritual side and the fact that he very much was like, what's in the world after? But this is still the era of the Hottentot. This is still the era of um, bringing people over from distant lands and claiming their royalty and keeping them in freaking display. So as part of a night out, like that's, that's the time period. Yeah. Um, Not that I support that, but. Did Spain ever give back their black person? They did, I think. I don't know. Okay, so I need to tell you about um, El Negro. <laughs> so for the longest time, a museum in Spain had the taxidermied body of a black man, an African Bushman, from like, I think, late 1800s, early 1900s. And he was just on display in a museum. 
Some dude got him through very nefarious deeds and taxidermied him. You don't taxidermy humans, first of all. We don't taxidermy well. We're very fleshy. We do not taxidermy well. Also, just don't taxidermy someone who didn't consent to be taxidermied because this man did not consent to be taxidermied. Um, and Spain had him in the museum, this taxidermy black man, forever. And finally, uh, during through some research, they were uh, a tribe was able to claim him. Like, this is our ancestor. We want him back. And this Spanish museum fought tooth and nail like printing buttons having like little mascot things of like let us keep our black <laughs> right which is a a big old yikes um i just have the uncomfortable yikes face right uh it's like uh one of the museums is like he's a part of our cultural heritage and we love him like he's some kind of toy i do believe because there was an episode of ask a mortician on it I am 99% sure that eventually he was given back to Africa, but like very recently, like 2000s recently. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, there was that. Um, <sighs> so, that is a thing that happened. Why, why are people terrible? I don't know. I, I love that that meme that went around for a while that's like, you know, people always blame video games for violence, but, you know, we also used to burn women as witches, so maybe people are just garbage. Right. So. Yeah, okay. So, he, so El Negro, which is what his name was, he died in 1830. Tori, would you like to wager a guess of when he was returned? I said 2000s, but I feel like any number you give out is it 2016? So he was returned in 2000. Oh, okay. Exactly. After being after being in an exhibit in France and in Spain, half naked and stuffed and mounted like a taxidermist for 170 years. <laughs> Screams into a bag. <laughs> That's like some really <laughs> fucked up night at the museum shit. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, I feel like every museum is high key haunted, but you have an actual trapped black man in your museum. I don't want to think about the screams that could have been heard. Um, all right. So moving along, do you want, we get to talk about Black Shuck. What is Black Shuck? So Black Shuck is, um, there is a hound that is often a, a mythological hound that's often seen in the British Isles and in the UK, um, who is kind of like a hellhound, but he's, you know, those like cryptozoological panthers that people say that they're seeing in the US? Mm -hmm. He's like that, but a dog. Oh. And he's been seen forever in the UK. So he is like a huge part of British folklore and like Celtic folklore as well, of just like this large black dog who's usually a uh, portent of you're gonna die. Um, he does sometimes do the killing, but he's usually just like a chill thing off saying you're gonna get fucked up later. Um, there is actually a good lore episode about this, which is not me trying to be shady, just is a reality. So 
for me, I think that was always the most interesting part about the Hound of the Baskerville story was the idea that it could have been this mythological thing because there's so many different stories of Black Shuck going back again generations with varying levels of um, mischief and harm. Because yeah, sometimes he is just like a fuck and I'm here to watch you and wait for you to die. And other times like, I'm going to rip this kid's arm off. Oh, <laughs> there's actually a church. So they mentioned this in the lore episode that they this church says that they were attacked by Black Shuck years ago. And there's all these like huge claw marks in like the church's um, walls and everything. And underneath it, they found like a seven foot skeleton of a dog. Oh. Right. So it's like, cool. Well, there it is. That's like <laughs> some Fenrir shit right there. Right. It's like, cool. We solved the mystery. Uh, it's right there. <laughs> mystery over. He's real. Oh. <laughs> I, I had heard stories from the, the British Isles about, you know, hellhounds and spectral hounds and black right. dogs and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but i'd never heard it referred to as black shuck before yeah he has like 50 different names i all whenever i did research on it i always knew it as black shuck but he has like a thousand different names but yeah he's just a ghostly black dog he's also where uh serious black gets a little bit of his form from uh because the bad woman is not clever you want to know something really silly Yes. I actually have a poem published somewhere about um, my best friend, the Hellhound. Thanks, Supernatural. Anyway. <laughs> Tori, would we have been friends as children? No. <laughs> Mostly because I avoided children after a certain point because they were mean to me. So I just like worked in the library at school. Like, I wish I was kidding. Like, I think it was like fifth and sixth grade. I worked mm-hmm. in the cafeteria during break to do mm-hmm. snack time, and I worked in the library during lunch because I didn't want to be around other kids. I wanted to be around snacks and books, and that has never stopped. Same. I would have tried to be your friend. I would have definitely tried, probably. The weird thing was I had a dream about one of the girls who was my friend. I mm-hmm. remember having this dream that she was going to drop me like a hot rock because she was going to get popular. Mm-hmm. And a week later, she got cast as the lead in Annie mm-hmm. at our school. And like mm-hmm. that, she bailed on me. And I was Ooh. like, well, I kind of prepared for this. Like, I, okay. A month later, I had a dream that she was going to uh-huh. be crying that she wanted to be friends again. Uh-huh. Later, it happened. And I'm like, I mean, I never stopped being your friend. You got weird. And we ended up being friends again. And then she moved. Huh. Her life was hard. Anyway. Cool. Da-da-da. That was a side story nobody needed to know. Brought to you by Port. <laughs> yeah, the official spokespeople for Sandeman. Yeah, Sandeman, give us a call. Um, so yeah, Black Shuck, again, I always thought that it was more interesting if he was like a ghost dog, but it just turns out that it was like one chill dog and a bunch of people being shitty, which... <laughs> I do kind of feel bad for this poor dog. Like I also feel bad for the dog. Trained to kill. It attacks this guy. And they're like, let's shoot it. I'm like, oh. I'll I'll an angel from rent. And I'm sorry. Just kidding. You are so mad about angel killing that dog by accident. Do you want to go ahead and cover dogs gone wrong before we talk about what the fuck is up with the moors? Sure. So we have, as a society, a lot of fears about dogs going wrong 
mostly because uh, we've spent so much time domesticating them. So we have like a huge cultural fear of, you know, man's best friend betraying us, which is one of the reasons why like Black Shuck is such a terrifying idea, is that this creature that we've spent so much time lovingly cultivating and trying to figure out one day can say, fuck it and rip your face off. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you look at, like, Cujo and stuff, like, like, we have a huge cultural fear of dogs fucking us up, because as much as we've cultivated a lot of dogs to be, like, not a threat at all, except for that killer pack of chihuahuas in California. No, my gusta. Do you know about those? No, and I don't want to be part of it. So there was a roving pack of chihuahuas in California, like, a feral pack of chihuahuas that actually, like, killed some people. Like murdered people i just imagined this dog named taco being in charge of the whole thing and i don't mean that as a racist thing i mean i've seen dogs named taco before i have also seen dogs named taco um but yeah like the poor these poor people who were firstly murdered and then murdered by a pack of chihuahuas because you can't take that seriously unfortunately but like for for as many dogs as we've made into genetic abominations, there are still plenty that are frightening. Now, I am not here to get into a nature versus nurture thing where we talk about should some dogs be, you know, non-existent, because I will say this, I'm a black person and I fear most dogs. Um, <laughs> I'm a black person. I fear any dog larger than me. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. So I'm not the best person to have the debate on whether pit bulls should exist or should not exist if it is large to me they're all puppies until proven guilty white woman stay out of the basement yep Yep. which is our new code word all hail lord buckethead and white woman stay out of the basement basically anytime uh, something goes horribly horribly wrong amanda yells save us lord buckethead and uh i usually follow suit all praise be to lord buckethead all Uh, praise lord buckethead also following that we've determined today that i have a tendency to be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and be like this is fine that everything is terrible over here i'm still gonna do this mm-hmm. and amanda's standing there going white woman white woman don't go into the basement and yeah. so that's now being said to me whenever i do something stupid i mean i try to let you figure it out on your own because otherwise you won't learn <laughs> you you won't learn otherwise if I just lift you out of the basement. You have to learn the basement is bad. And then and then I can say, white woman, get out of the basement. Um, so we have a huge cultural fear of dogs going bad. I think, like, subconsciously, we also have it with cats. But I feel like humans have never trusted cats ever. So we always, it's not so much a fear. It's just a latent mistrust that, like, if we were to drop dead, we know that cat would eat us. Oh, yeah. I'm watching Nemo stalk around the bedroom right now, so. Yeah, like, as as we talk about it, like, we're watching the Mighty Hunter, you know, check out his lands. I'm like, I just watched you throw up a hairball, so don't act like you're cool. But, um, yeah, it, it's very unique with dogs, because we've spent so much time trying to make dogs into our companions, while really cats, we just sort of, um, accepted. <laughs> like, I think truly cats domesticated humans yeah they're like hey we should worship this as a god and then uh we'll continue to wake you up at 5 a.m after daylight savings time because we're hungry right 
I mean, in all fairness, they were very useful. Like, I get why they were worshipped as gods. Like, they are very useful. These except- apples only half kill a cockroach and then leave it. Okay, they used to be very useful. Ema just looked at me like, mm, bitch. Right. I'm grateful. I brought you a present. I wanted I'm- to show you it was fresh. I wanted to show you its beating heart. Um, I mean, they used to be more useful. They're not anymore. But um, they definitely used to be useful. When, I don't know. But well, as long as you don't bring them to an island where they systematically destroy one bird. True. Which I think is the saddest story of ecology ever. Hey, we're going to bring these cats. Well, there's actually an island in Australia where this guy is the official cat hunter. And all he does is kill feral cats. Yeah, and I just want to be like, can we put them on a boat? Can we take the kitties to the U.S.? So can they be part Aus- of my farm? So Australia has a very, very long history of being bad at animal control, i.e. the emu war. I.e. rats and their grain and then bringing in snakes and then the snakes taking over. And the cane toads. Australia, it's not that we're making fun of you. This stuff happens in the U.S. too. Uh, but with plants. I think the only really bad thing we have is, like, the Asian carp, and that would be fine if we ate them. There is also an entire lake that is infested with Asian carp in Russia. Yeah. So we have Asian carp really bad back home. Uh, and actually, it was, it was Dallas-Fort Worth that started to spawn the legend of, like, them getting out of the water and eating dogs. Dallas, Fort Worth, who who hurt you? <laughs> uh, I don't know. We also have alligator gar, which will get out of the those water and eat. Freaking scary. Yeah, we have those in the Trinity River, and those will get out of the water and eat your dog. So, if, if you ever are walking by the Trinity River, first of all, I'm sorry, it smells horrible. Second of all, um, be careful of alligator gar, because those absolutely will get out of the water and eat your dog. Um, so that's, uh, dogs gone mad and dogs gone wild. Um, Tori, since this is not my area of expertise, and this seems to be your people and your cultural heritage, what the fuck is up with the Moors? Not, not the ethnic group, the, the land. I understood. I understood. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about Spanish and Iberian Peninsula. Mm -hmm. Um, so with the Moors... Mm-hmm. They can be deadly. If you are caught out and you are unable to get food, water, you're caught out in the elements, mm-hmm. uh, you will die. And just like the woods or any desolate place where you can get lost, mm-hmm. it is an area of fascination and also terror. That's why mm-hmm. we have so many ghost stories about people trapped on the moors. That's why you have Will of the Wisp, where it's you are follow this light that takes you farther and farther away until you fall into a bog or a marsh or off a cliff. Mm -hmm. Um, It is considered to be, you are taken away from the safety of your society and the safety of your family and support. Mm -hmm. Um, That is why you always see like these big manor houses that are out on the moors. Um, Mm -hmm. And then like why there's a lot of ghost stories related to them because it's Mm -hmm. this concept of, you don't have that support. You don't have somebody you can go to in a time of crisis. Mm-hmm. If something goes wrong, you're pretty much fucked. Um, okay. Where What's a little different, too, is 
there are in Scotland what are called the Highland Clearance Villages. Mm -hmm. For a long time, English people would own large tracts of land and they would have Scottish people live on that land and they would raise crops and that. And it's very hard to raise things out here. But if you go out there, these villages are all along with each other. They're very mm -hmm. close. They're very connected because they know the dangers. They know what happens at night. They know they have to be protected and they mm -hmm. have to stay warm and that kind of thing. Um, it's very ghostly to go out to those because they are far off the beaten path. You do have to hike out to them. But what happened was uh, late 1800s and stuff like that, the reason we had such an influx of Scottish people to the United States mm -hmm. was because the English came back and said, we can make more money raising sheep than you raising crops. Mm -hmm. So we want our land back. Keeping in mind that these people have lived on these in these areas for hundreds of years. This had been, you know, where they raised their family and, you know, that kind of thing. And it's kind of like the surf, serfdom in um, Russia. Mm -hmm. And so these people were kicked off this land. That's the only thing they knew. And they were sent to major cities. They came over to New York. They came over to America with the promise that things would be better. And they encountered devastating poverty um very similar to the irish and to the well the germans it kind of depended um people didn't trust the germans but also they were very industrious so they kind of were like okay you can make schnitzel for us we'll be okay and i'm not trying to be racist like this is really what it was it was like you're not white anglo-saxon protestant we don't trust you oh you have cats you're Catholic. Oh, you have a weird branch of Protestantism. Like it was still very much like, well, you can live on this side of town. And I will a hundred percent say black people had it way, way worse, way worse. Thank you for that because um, so, so can I tell you one thing that exhausts me? I think more than white people with dreads. What is a, uh, the Irish were slaves once too. I will a hundred percent own up to the fact that in my early twenties, I was like, well, we were indentured servants. And then I actually did some fucking reading on it mm -hmm. and went, I need to shut my whore mouth. <laughs> okay, but like, at least you learned. Like, it's the people that are still saying it that are like, listen. <laughs> there is a really amazing podcast called 1619 that just came out, well, earlier in the year from New mm -hmm. York Times. And it is about, because 1619 was evidently when the first slave ship came to the U.S., and it's mm -hmm. about how black culture is continually subjugated and pushed under the rug. And even when people were like, hey, well, let's put this in here, let's end slavery, it was like the majority going, we can't do that. That's going to ruin things. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely fascinating and horrifying because it's like you'll have these recordings from people that was like one of the last slaves alive from Thomas Jefferson plantation. Um, they had. But then they also had recordings from these people who were like, well, we can't mix the races because of this. And you're going, that was way sooner than, or more recent than I want to own up to. Like, yeah. Um, we weren't supposed to talk about racism, but Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Port made us talk about racism. So thank you for explaining what's going on with the Moors. I always just assumed that it was like a weird, like there was a methane vent and everyone was crazy kind of thing. Well, <laughs> I mean, probably that too. They're like, sort of like a methane. Vent. It's like, is it like, it's, is, is it's it like Delphi? Scary. It's kind of oh, that'd be interesting. Um, it's kind of like the Black Forest in Germany, 
It's Mm -hmm. kind of like the woods in Massachusetts. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like that entire forest in Transylvania. It's wait, the one that's actually haunted? Mm -hmm. Where you don't know what's in there. You Mm -hmm. don't know what you will encounter. If you get lost, you are fucked. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's part of why, like, in the Bronte books and stuff like that, you have, like, Heathcliff and um, Catherine out on the moors. They're wild. They're untamed. They're in this place where, you know, they can be themselves and be free, but they're also completely separated from everybody else. And when she gets hurt, she doesn't get to just go back home because it's three miles away. So is it it like the swamps for America? It's very much like a Louisiana swamp. Okay. Except it's not wet like that. That wetness comes from the rain and fogs and stuff, but it's not like you're like culturally yeah you're in culturally but you're not okay. taking a boat and like going through and like you're okay you're also not using a paddle you're also not using a paddle in a louisiana swamp unless you want to fuck with a gator so you're also yes. not using a paddle anymore um but like, um, i'm just okay. gonna let this boat do what it needs to do right but um so i have family in louisiana so that makes a lot more sense to me because you see this with swamp people not the horrible show on history channel because that's not history there's did I tell you about my aunt's very astute uh, remark about History Channel? Mm-mm. So I was uh, showing off the gooey butter cake that I made, and I had my aunt on video, and like I got like a, she got a glimpse of my television, and I was watching um, Mysteries of the Alaska Triangle. So like fifty percent of that show is okay because like in Alaska a bunch of people go missing because it's fucking Alaska, and like fifty percent of the episode is usually like okay. I can see why people go missing in Alaska, and the other fifty percent is like. Alaska has a murderous mermaid, and it's like, okay, sure, Did Jan. Did come across from Russia? I guess, like- I guess so. Um, they found out that the mermaid has a migration path. I don't fucking know. But, like, so I was watching that. I think it was, like, the I think it was, like, the mermaid one or something, and my aunt asked, like, you know, what are you watching? And it's like, oh, it's this, like, cryptozoology show on a history channel. And she's like, on the history channel? And I said, yes. And she's like, is that history? And just <laughs> and as a person who watches a lot of shows on History Channel that aren't history, I mean, first of all, drag me. Second of all, no lie detected. Hello, Nemo. He just came up to say hello. Hello. Slash, I'm warm and he wants to sleep. Right. Also, slash, humans are a great source of warmth. Hello, baby. Great boy. He's so good. Um, we, we said that as we talked about cats eating us. Um, because I think oh, that that is 100% true. he would eat me. 100%. Yeah. But um, so that's yeah. the Moors. Do you want to talk about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? I or do. do you want to, or do you want to talk about Piltdown Man first? I want to kind of talk about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle first and then Piltdown Man. Go for it. Okay. So here's the fun thing I found out. Charles Doyle, his dad, was an alcoholic epileptic. Fun, right? Mm -hmm. So he's actually the one who designed that massive fountain in front of Holyrood Castle in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Um, He got the commission from Queen Victoria, of all people, built it, and then fell into this basically alcoholic stupor where he Mm -hmm. beat the crap out of his kids. And they're like, you know what? We're going to not give you any more commissions. Mm-hmm. Um, Arthur Conan Doyle does have like the best name ever Arthur Conan Ignatius Doyle like let's see how many names we can fit in there 
His mm-hmm. last name is only Doyle. It's not Conan Doyle. So it's mm-hmm. never hyphenated or anything like that. Conan is his middle name, but sometimes people are like, oh, that's his surname. But it, what it does is it just kind of helps him separate himself from his family. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born in Edinburgh, Scotland on May 22nd, 1859. Um, when he was young, he was sent to a Catholic school. He was one of 10 children, only seven of which made it to adulthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very serious about the evidence of faith and religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point that he would not believe in transubstantiation because he could not see it happening. So he couldn't see Jesus or Christ. That's the point. Wife turned to blood. So he refused to take communion. He said that he wanted to see it for himself, which was interesting because he was still an altar boy. So he would still give communion, but he wouldn't take it. But that's the whole um, point. Sorry. Right. It is the whole point, but. Um, Catholic rage. So the school he went to was called Stonyhurst. It's about that time that he met two separate boys with the last name Moriarty, which probably inspired the future name choice. (laughs) Um, Where he met two assholes named Moriarty. (laughs) He, uh, so a lot of times um, folks would, who would come to the school, they were like basically traveling scholars. They would come to take exams um, and they would keep their dogs and horses next door. So he would often hear dogs braying in the night. Again, sounds Baskerville. Um, he was also trained as a doctor. He wrote his first book at 23. It got lost in the mail on the way to the publisher. So oh, no. he rewrote the whole thing from the beginning. Good job. I'm like, damn. Um, mm-hmm. My favorite, he was on the same cricket team as J.M. Barry, the author of Peter Pan. And they were evidently pretty good. They weren't gray, but they were pretty good. I don't understand cricket. I was watching... Um... I've been watching the Breecast and cricket season is back. So uh, Sophie's Mail has been talking about cricket and I fundamentally don't understand cricket as a sport. I think like, you hit a ball with a cricket bat. I think it's kind of like baseball. But like one of the scores ignorantly? was like two over 113. Like what is, if we have any UK listeners, can you please explain cricket to us? Like we're dumb Americans. I mean, that's fair. Um, so the How to the Baskervilles was published in 1902, mm-hmm. the same year that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was knighted for mm-hmm. his service in the Boer War. Fun mm-hmm. story, he was too large of a man to be considered a soldier, but he joined up as a doctor, thus the influence for Watson. Um, people tended to write to Sherlock Holmes like he was a real person, including people who worked for the police department in <laughs> Wyoming. Um, asking for help solving crimes. So they would send letters to the, the, uh, the Strand and say, hey, um, I need you to go ahead and, and tell me how to solve this. And it would be like, uh, okay. So, oh my God, I, I needed that. I mean, I have no faith in anyone anymore, but I absolutely needed to hear that. So originally the address was going to be 21B Baker Street, but that was a real person's house in the 1920s and Mm -hmm. so he's like you know what i'll make it 221b this is never going to exist as an address well in the 30s a lot of houses got built and so now there is officially a 221b baker street Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because it's a store and a sherlock holmes museum or it was when i was there in 2016 no not 2016 Mm -hmm. 2013 it's been a while um the fun thing is the poor people who work there do wear deerstalker caps and the jacket 
even when it's 90 degrees outside and there is no air conditioning in a lot of the UK. So central air isn't a big thing out there. Um, the funny thing is the cap and the hat aren't in the, any of the stories. They are were added by the illustrator of the stories for The Strand. Mm -hmm. So when people, that whole thing in the BBC show Sherlock where they're like, I don't actually wear this hat. That's like a big joke about it because they would, it would became very popular because of the illustration and then the Basil mm -hmm. Rathbone movies. And then it just has become this just iconic image, kind of like um, the Bram Stoker's Dracula outfit. Like that is how we see Dracula now, where right. it's never described as that in the books. Right. The book. um, he was super irritated because he killed off Sherlock Holmes in the case of the Rockenbach Falls. Mm -hmm. But thousands of people wrote to the Strand saying that they were pissed off and canceled their subscriptions. And so he was irritated, but he brought Holmes back because the Strand is like, please, we don't want to lose any more people. Like a Jason Todd. Yes. Um, so this is my favorite part of this. Sir mm -hmm. Arthur Conan Doyle was super into spiritualism. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people say that's because of his son who, in World War I, not necessarily true. He was into this stuff after it started becoming popular in the 1840s in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, he started attending seances very early on. Now, his interest in spiritualism did get solidified after the death of his son mm -hmm. and because of, of World War I, but he was way into it before, and he had already started doing lecture tours at the start of 1900. Mm -hmm. So he um, definitely 100% believed in fairies, even though the... Um, the fairy pictures that he saw, I think it's like the Cottingswald or the Coddington fairies, um, did prove to be false. He still 100% believed in fairies, mm -hmm. that there was more than enough proof. Mm -hmm. um, I don't disagree, but that's a whole other story. Um, he had a very long friendship with Houdini that ended up being torn apart because Houdini was like, I can't convince you that my tricks aren't real. This, none of this is real. This is all mm -hmm. fake. Houdini actually had a whole group that he worked with to try and disprove seances. Yes, he did. And Doyle was very much like, this shit is real. Leave it the fuck alone. There's another great lore episode where they talk about that as well. So There's a really good book. I think it's called The Witch of... I'm going to look it up because otherwise I don't want to screw this up. Um, it's like something street, Lime Street. And yes, The Witch of Lime Street. And it's about the whole thing where there was a woman that Houdini had a really hard time trying to disprove. And mm -hmm. Doyle's like, I told you, but um, that's a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. He actually, uh, Doyle ended up opening a psychic bookshop in London in 1925, which I would have killed to go to. Um, it had a small little museum, but he ended up losing a lot of money on it because he paid for all of it himself. Um, mm -hmm. He has quite a few books. I actually just read one of them about spiritualism. There's not really anything that we haven't already kind of talked about in more modern era. Mm -hmm. But um, what was it called? Hang on just a second as I do this because I'm rude. No, you're fine. One's taking forever to load. Um, it's called The New Revelation. Ah. Um, his last words oh, while he was dying, he looked up at his wife. It was his second wife because his first wife had died. Mm -hmm. He said, you are wonderful. And then he died. <laughs> and I'm like, Good boy! Good boy, Arthur! So he had something like seven kids, like... 
Um, anyway. I like him. He's he's kind of like the chubby little friend who's like way into ghosts. Like we would have been best friends, I think. Because I would have been like, oh my gosh, wait until you get older and you get to talk to the new Kirks. Like that would be, yeah, anyway. He's dead. Sorry. I want to channel him into sound. I mean, I hope he's doing other stuff in the afterlife, like being mad at BBC. That brings us to Piltdown Man and the adaptations. So Piltdown Man, uh, I think we've talked about before, or at least have hinted at, was a uh, hoax perpetuated by a person or persons in England. Because basically, by this time, this was like late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, so we had found Neanderthal man, and I say we as society, not we as Tori and I, because we weren't born. Um, <laughs> and I may not have been a full person as of that time yet. Oh, <laughs> and we're women biologically, so we definitely didn't do shit. Uh, but we as society had found Neanderthal man in the Neander Valley in France. Uh, and we had this idea that, you know, we, we understood that there were men that came before modern man. But the idea that it was a species rather than like, this is the one ancestor for this region was sort of a thing. So there was a lot of like regional ancestry that was a concern. So Germany had their fossil. And of course, they took it way too far as Germans tended to do back in those days. <laughs> Where am I wrong? <laughs> there was no judgment. I was like, you're the one who spent time in Austria. You tell me. They, they took it way too far as they always do. Uh, the French, of course, had the Neanderthal man, and I mean, they were chill about it in the way the French can be chill. Um, so England at that point felt like they were surrounded by these great places, and they didn't have an ancestor. There was no great white whale or great white fossil. <laughs> they didn't have one. So basically, someone found what they thought was a jawbone on the side of the road, and it's like, this is it. This is our great white ancestor. Um, because, of course, also back in these days, we had no concept of the fact that uh, modern man uh, came from Africa. Because the only thing that came from Africa were slaves and riches um, during that time. So this assumed jawbone was, hey, cool, this is our white ancestor. This is our great British collective ancestor. And this hoax went on for a while. Um, and it was called Piltdown Man because Piltdown's where it was found. Um, they uh, tried to dig up more things. Realistically, more things really weren't found. They were able to reconstruct a skull based on like the jawbone that they said that they found. And of course, like I mean, it looked bone-ish. Any reconstruction that was done was pretty loose based on drawings that already existed because we already at that stage had like drawings of the Neanderthal skull and such like that. So any drawings that were made where you can pull this from other stuff. Basically, it wasn't until way, way later. And by way, way later, I mean like the fucking 50s <laughs> uh, that someone actually was like, we're going to test out this skull and uh or this jawbone fragment to find that it was a whittled down cricket bat <laughs> it all comes back to cricket amanda it, it all, all comes, comes back to cricket Absolutely. 
Oh, God. USB work for me, please. There we go. But yeah, so basically, Piltdown Man thing. And uh, the reason why we are talking about it here is because Sir Arthur Conan Doyle may have played a part in the hoaxing because he had a huge interest in this. And uh, depending on who talks about him, was either just like a chill spiritualist emo or was like a gremlin looking to fuck shit up. I mean, you can be both. You can be both, but like... I, I kind of liked your retelling of his narrative because everything that I've ever read of him was just that he was a grumpy, like, bitter man who just wanted to make things, un like, uncomfortable for people. So I kind of liked this, like, fluffy retelling of... I mean, he kind of... He was probably both. He was yeah, British. Like he <laughs> okay, let me rephrase that. He was English. Oof, and we've lost and we've lost our listeners. Oh, but yeah, like I, I I appreciate that retelling. Nemo, you can't have port. I'm sorry. I don't know how else to explain. He wants it so bad. Like, honey, you can't have port, even though I would love to see it. This cat keeps headbutting me every time I take a sip of port, and I don't know if it's because I cease to pet him while I do that, or because he just wants alcohol. Is it like an alert dog thing, where like it's worried about you, so it's like, please stop. <laughs> I have concerns. What are you doing? I have worries. Um, so that's Piltdown Man. Uh, there are some great documentaries on YouTube about it, uh, which we can link. Do you want to do listener questions or adaptations? Ooh, let's do listener questions first. Cool. So we actually got a couple of questions from some of our podcast friends. Hello. We love you. And thank you. Um, first question from We Are the Realist and the hor Horror Showist. Horror. Okay, cool. I have a lisp now. Thank you for that. Um, opinions on the theory that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle stole the idea for the novel. I um, had no idea this was a thing. I did only because, again, like the whole like Black Shuck thing. So I don't think that he stole the idea for the novel. I feel like for some people, it probably just felt like he took too many things from other things. Um, but I'm always down for a literary conspiracy. Like I am, I am forever here for um, a literary conspiracy. I'm going to see if I can find more specific details on the conspiracy. But it was a thing. I do remember hearing about it being a uh, thing that there were some concerns about. Yeah, it's basically the main concern is that, like, yeah, like this legend takes a lot from other stories about Black Shuck and I mean oh now he's gonna sleep on the computer okay thanks cat thanks cat sleep on the computer I'm proud of you um yeah there's some concern that the novel was taken from other contemporaries of that time uh, I disagree. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle definitely has like a very unique style and you can tell that this is his because only he could turn this book into the monstro the blown out monstrosity it becomes. There's a Hound of the Baskervilles video game. I did not know that either. I'm sorry, <laughs> I was just trying to keep the cat's paw away from the computer because I don't know if you just saw in the outline suddenly all of these spaces. That's good job, cat. 
Um, no space bar for you, friend. But we can definitely dig more into the the theory that it was stolen. I personally don't think it was, but I mean, as mentioned prior, I'm always down to believe in some literary conspiracy. So say he probably borrowed heavily from contemporaries. I don't doubt that. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So our next question is from Oh No Lit Class. Hello, friend. A question we struggled with on our episode of the story. What is it about the Moors that makes people so unbelievably gosh dang dramatic? It's like the moment someone sets foot on them, they get at least 40% more extra. I'm starting to agree. And I do think that, Tori, you mentioned this a little bit up at the top of the show. We're like, because it's this desolate hellscape where <laughs> no one is supposed to live. Automatically goes to anything can happen on the Moors. Wait. Right. <laughs> Which I did put in the outline, which we did not sing until now. Um, couldn't let you down. You couldn't let me down, not during my birth month. Um, I, I'm guessing that's the assessment. is, Or, or maybe there is a methane leak. I, maybe would, I would wager that it's more than 40%. I would wager that it's more like 60%. I'm going to see. Is there is there a secret methane vent under the moors? <laughs> I mean, it would explain Catherine, but now I definitely have to find that freaking picture in Scotland. Okay. You chubby little blonde Tory. So there may be some methane vents around the moors, but not directly underneath them. Aw. We need to probably explain that, don't we? Are we gonna do like Oracle at Delphi? Yeah. Okay. So basically, methane can cause you to do some pretty funny things. Mm -hmm. It affects your brain. Mm -hmm. um, so you may start speaking about things that you can see that aren't necessarily there. Mm -hmm. and the Oracle at Delphi was located above a methane leak. Mm -hmm. So there tended to be a lot of things that came out that may or may not have actually been predictions. Mm -hmm. But sometimes they worked, so people were like, all right. Right. Uh, basically, they found a huge deposit of um, methane and ethane in the vents under where, like, the Oracle of Delphi hung out. So, like, yeah. Also, probably a lot of, like, carbon dioxide mixed with methane. So, this priestess was high. This priestess was high as shit. <laughs> Which, fair and valid. So yeah, the Moors made us all more dramatic. Uh, cool. But yeah, I, I would also wager to say it's more than 40% that, um, <laughs> that uh, adds to the madness of the Moors. So, the Moors. So, adaptations. I'm going to go ahead and say up front, I don't like BBC Sherlock. I don't like it's queer baiting. I don't like that Benedict Cumberbatch plays Sherlock like an insufferable ubermensch. I don't like drag queen Moriarty. I love drag queen Moriarty. But that's the just actor, because I like Andrew Scott yeah, a lot. So. Andrew Scott is a very attractive man who I know does not play for our team. But Andrew Scott is a very attractive man. But I do not like drag queen Moriarty. 
I think it's the incessant queer baiting that really upset me with BBC Sherlock. It's just the needlessly incessant queer baiting. So I know that there's the show, I think it was NBC that used to have Elementary. I've mm-hmm. never watched it. I have a lot of friends who are like, it's amazing. You would love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never gotten into it. So that's more of a recent adaptation. There's mm-hmm. also the Robert Downey Jr. version, which is, it's fun. No, it's not. It's silly, but it's fun. I, I, it's something, so like, it's kind of like Fast and the Furious. If my husband tr- turns it on, I'm going to do four other things while it's on, but I'm not going to be like this again. Um, I am so disappointed in the movies that you mentioned sometimes. Well, I mean, they're not there to be like completely accurate descriptions of the book. If you want that, well, not completely accurate, but if you want something that feels more like the books, uh, the Basil mm-hmm. Rathbone films are, are definitely a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to include the link to the Wishbone film, or the short episode. It's only like 20 minutes. Did you say um, Wishbone film? <laughs> yes, because I'm going to take it very seriously. I'm going to be like, today on our film critic podcast. Oh, we need to talk um, about Wishbone. Yes. So we talked a little bit about it just because he's so stinking cute. He is cute. Um, But we we were joking a little bit, Amanda and I, that we are now going to pick only things that were covered by Wishbone going forward. Which includes, which means that we're reading Faust, um, finally. (laughs) Um, I actually care for Faust a great deal. And then I would also be able to reference Doomstone. So I also like Faust quite a bit. So we wouldn't have a problem with that. Any oh. excuse to reference Tombstone, anyway. <laughs> I love that movie is so good. Um, so there actually is a uh, Wishbone episode about this, which, you know what, I was talking to a friend about this. I think one of the things that, you know, if I'm allowed to go, like, back in my day and, like, what these kids need, I think that children need more wholesome children shows. Because a lot of children shows now still have, like, this tinge of millennial cynicism that I think that, like, you can do that when you're older. Like, we didn't get cynical cartoons until we were, like, 10. Like, we definitely got some cynical cartoons. We got our, like, Ed, Ed, and Eddies and stuff like that. Like, we I was got... Say, Toy Story is pretty adult. Well, it is, but it... we weren't smart enough to understand it, though. So, like, I feel like kids need more, like, wholesome... This is just a good show about, like, a dog and his owner in a fictional city in Texas. Oh, just some good wholesome television. We need another Jim Henson. We do, although one that doesn't cheat on his wife. That's a whole other story. Anyway, are you going to slander the dead name of Jim Henson? Nope. No, I'm going to leave it alone. There's an incredible book called Behind Every Great Man, which is by Margaret Geller Wagman. I think it is. I'm just saying, maybe pick that up. Maybe pick I it mean, up. Okay, like I'm not. So there's a there's a great episode of a Defunct Land TV that covers oh, yeah. like four parts of Jim Henson's life. And I like that one a lot because it does talk about Henson as a human being. So it doesn't sugarcoat him or deify him because I will say this, I have no nostalgia for him as a man. I watched his stuff, of course, I was born in the 90s, but I have like no nostalgia for him as a human being. So, so without, yes. Are we talking, so we're talking still more about adaptations, yeah? We can. So basically, what I think is interesting in the BBC Sherlock is instead mm-hmm. of doing the cocaine 7% solution, which is referenced mm-hmm. in multiple um, Sherlock Holmes stories, yes, mm-hmm. he does use cocaine, 
in mm-hmm. a certain prescribed manner, um, they use nicotine patches. Yes. And I remember that one where he's got nicotine patches like all over his chest and I'm going, that would probably kill you. There's so much about the BBC Sherlock that you can tell Moffat is not a smart man who thinks he's very smart. We're going to get canceled so hard. Oh, but like you can tell there's so much about him that he thinks he's a very smart man and he just isn't. Because you're right, that would kill you. Like there's, there's nothing about that that should be a thing, nor would it create the effect that he's saying it would. He also struggles very heavily with actual definitions of sociopathy and pathology and psychopathy. Like all the time? Like he uses the wrong definition pretty much in everything that he writes. He uses the pop culture version versus the actual so there's yeah. there's a lot of cringe moments. Yeah, I love um, Doctor Who. I love Doctor Who. I think River Song is amazing, right? But I also realize all of her weaknesses and all of the poor writing that goes into her. And I, I love I, that I, you're always trying to protect us, and I'm the one who's willing to you know go the distance like Hercules and be the asshole. You're like, I, you're the one who's fuck you fight me. And I'm yes. the one who's got like the little tiny like plastic butter knife going, do you want me to butter your roll? <laughs> okay, so I don't know if you remember this, but I think early in the podcast, we had established that I am the Ernest Hemingway <laughs> the F. Scott Fitzgerald. And I hate that we brought that back because accurate. I am 100% like, no, the show is garbage and you're wrong if you disagree with me. And you're like, I like all of these things too. <laughs> It's it's interesting because Sherlock is used so prevalently. Hey, don't eat my headphones, cat. Um, he is used so prevalently in pop culture. You know, it's in everything. If every major cartoon does some sort of thing where they're a detective and suddenly they have a deerstalker cat. Can Everybody I, uses I like some why. reference. I want to know why because I am fascinated by stuff like this when like something becomes like a cultural archetype. I, I wonder what the appeal is to Sherlock, because I think to heart back on BBC Sherlock, because it misses the point so much, <laughs> like, I'm always curious about, like, what it was that makes people like Sherlock as an idea. So, so to elucidate on my point about BBC Sherlock missing the point, one of the things that I liked about Sherlock was sort of like what I like about House, was being able to solve the mystery with him. BBC Sherlock has won a chess game that you didn't know existed. There's no fun in that episode or in that series because you can't know what's going on because he withholds so much information and the storytelling is so bad that it withholds information. And the funny thing is their Hound of the Baskerville episodes it kind of covers how dickish Sherlock can be, though. Um, yes. Accurately, the fact that he is like... Has no I, regard for Watson. None whatsoever. And what's so interesting is in the book series, there is at least a little bit of regard for Watson. There is, I'm going to try and show you how to do this. You're mm-hmm. completely wrong, 
Mm-hmm. But I'm going to show you how to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to teach you how to defend yourself. I'm mm-hmm. going to, you know, and, and the funny thing is, it's like, you're right. There's a lot of queer baiting in the BBC show. So much. We're, they're so like, much. it's like a constant joke about our Watson and Sherlock together. And it's like, that's not the point. That's not the point. If they are great, I think it's the point. It's, it's not the point. Like in the, in the books, it's the mystery. It's the how do I make Watson better and Watson making Sherlock's more human. Sherlock's Sherlock more the human. multiple Sherlock's the multiple Sherlock's. Um, it's this, and I think that's why it was so popular. It was that we have this every man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been through things that most people haven't been, but he understands mm-hmm. war. He understands frustrations. He mm-hmm. understands what it's like to come back to a world that's completely changed when you weren't ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um. And he is able to humanize mm-hmm. Sherlock because I think that's that's a big thing for us is we always want to be the smartest person in the room. We want to be, I, I like it. Um, we okay. want to be the person who knows where this is going to go. We okay. want to be the person that can figure out what another person is going to do. And I think a lot of that has to do with our psychology because we can't predict what another person is going to do and this we joke about at work all the time the one thing that we can't plan for is the human element we can't plan for that person who we can literally write out every single thing that's going to happen step by step ask them to do something and they will still fuck it up go ahead and pause you right there you are working with a slytherin because only slytherins have ever said that (laughs) by referring to people as the human element Yes. yes Um, I'm not referring to them as collateral damage, so we're going to go, we're going to... You know what? I have referred to someone as, um, oh God, I didn't say expendable. I said, um, a waste of resources. (laughs) And my best friend was like, that is the rudest thing I have ever heard you say. And I'm like, I have said actual slurs. What are you talking about? It's like, you just referred to a human being as a waste of resources. <laughs> um, but you know what? Okay. So I, so I said, I don't like feeling like the smartest person in the room because I'm black and a woman. So that usually isn't a prized trait uh, within my ethnicity and with my uh, ascribed biological gender. So I've always had a war with my intelligence. I've always had a war with being smart and having this is going to sound such like a humble brag I know but it's like I have to be dumb in the room so I don't seem threatening but like that's very true being black because there's nothing that especially white men hate more is being corrected by a small brown person (laughs) so I don't really get off on being the smartest person in the room most of the time a lot of times it's very frustrating it's exhausting frankly like it's if anything I think that's why in a strange way like so a lot of and people. I'm not saying I'm smart 100 percent of the time because I do some. Really oh, I know. I'm aware. <laughs> I do some really stupid shit. Remember, <laughs> white girls stay out of the basement. Yeah. Right. Oh, uh, but like I think there's a re- that's one of the reasons why like I've always related to Watson so much more because everyone assumes that I want to be the Uberminchy Sherlock. That's not true. I've never wanted to be the Uberminch Sherlock. Um, I've always related to Watson more because he has rational feelings towards things. You may notice that there's a theme of that with me and characters that I like is that everyone assumes that I like the uber minchie protagonist. That's not true. I usually like his friend who has realistic feelings about stuff. So I like the, the only thing that the BBC series did 
was have a Watts and it's like, oh shit, this is bad. Like that's the only thing I think that the BBC series got right, which I think is 99% just down to casting. 99% of it I think is just down to casting. Is you get a genuine like, Sherlock, you're a dick. (laughs) I do really appreciate Mark Gaddis though as uh sherlock's as um come on brain you can do it starts with an m not Moriarty. mycroft thank you i don't know why my brain just was like bye um (laughs) it was the port yeah that's part of it that that and there's a pandemic on um yep stress causes problems with your brain (laughs) what um but I like his adaptation of Mycroft. I like that he's very much like my little brother. And I feel like, I mean, obviously we don't really have, we don't have Mycroft in the story. So we don't have that, no. but, um, but I do care for him a great deal. And I think Gaddis gets himself in trouble a fair bit working with Moffat. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, okay. I will Dr. say Who? this. What? Um, sorry. I will say this. I think I would love BBC Sherlock literally in anyone else's hands. I think if you gave this to literally anyone else, give this to Matthew Vaughn. Well, we did. It's called Kingsman. (laughs) I would love to see Chris Chibnall's adaptation, but Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure he would just kill off everyone and the start would be a dead small child. Oh, no. I love Ooh. Chibnall, okay? He's the one who's Ooh. currently writing uh, Doctor Who. He's the showrunner right now. Um, and it's good. Broadchurch. Broadchurch Broad is Church is devastating. It is so well-written. It is so smart, but it's mm-hmm. so devastating. And that's actually where um, why I'm a big supporter of Jodi as the Doctor, is mm-hmm. I've seen her chops. I've seen mm-hmm. her portray the most accurate depiction of a mom mourning a child ever, of that... Mm-hmm. I am so mad and so frustrated and so sad and literally I have to do everything to keep everyone else together mm-hmm. and I cannot handle one more person telling me I'm so sorry for your loss. Like mm-hmm. there's a part where she is at the grocery store and she just has to get out because people keep going, I'm so sorry about what happened with your mm-hmm. son. And she pulls her car into a post because she's so upset and so distracted and it's just She's incredible with facial expressions. She's incredible with emotions, but that's mm-hmm. a whole other like Doctor Who thing we don't need to talk about. I guess. So, congratulations, you got us to both rant about um, BBC Sherlock because I actually wrote, I did a video about it, and I think I wrote a blog post about it because it just it's so frustrating because I feel like that's a show that if I watched that as a teenager, I would love it. Oh, I loved Irene Adler. I love that actress. I think that's a lot of it. I yeah. loved a half-naked BDSM princess. Like, that was great for me. I thought it was disrespectful to the text. Very disrespectful. I thought it was disrespectful to the text, and I didn't like it. She's supposed to be an opera singer. She's supposed to be, you know, yeah, she's got some materials and stuff on other people, but I don't know. I was young. Also, I was, I was very distracted by the end of that episode where they jump the shark and have the most ridiculous solving to a crime that to this day makes me angry, which I probably have to explain to our listeners. Oh, I'm happy to help take over the mantle on this one. So the very end of the episode, Scandal in Belgravia, Mm -hmm. which again, it's not Scandal in Bohemia, which is the original text. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Irene Adler is somehow captured by ISIS forces. Mm-hmm. And yet they don't take her cell phone away from her. Mm-hmm. Or not her cell phone. Like, there's there's this guy standing in the background who's about to, like, cut her head off. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's, like, basically saying goodbye. And all of a sudden, you hear Sherlock's ringtone, which is something mm-hmm. Irene Adler has set for him, which is her going, ah. And you hear it in the background, and you realize that Sherlock is the one with the blade, and he's going to help her get out. I'm like, first of all, he's not going to help her get out. Right. You guys are both going to get killed. Mm-hmm. Second of all, turn your cell phone off if you're in these secret operations. Like, what the fuck? Oh, no, wait. She did still have her cell phone because she texted him goodbye. Yes. And that was like, no kidnapper, no killer, no terrorist organization is going to let you keep your cell phone on you. Mm-hmm. They're going to ask you what they should send to people so that they can delay things a little longer. Mm-hmm. But no, they're not going to let you keep your cell phone, sweetheart. Yeah. Anyway, so it's like this big thing, like Mycroft like gives this packet of information to Watson. It's like, please, you know, tell him that she's in America as part of the Secret Service. Uh, she mm-hmm. died and such and such. And it's like, then they show that whole sequence. And it's like, <sighs> what's interesting too, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. now we're on a rant here. Magnuson, when they're looking at, he's like looking at him and he has the, all mm-hmm. those things that are coming down. Sherlock's porn preferences are listed as normal. And this entire show, they go out of their way to make him look asexual. I mean, asexual people watch porn. Do they? I know some that read like Yaoi and Yuri comics because at that point it's storytelling. I mean, storytelling, yeah, but most porn does not have a great storyline. With the exception of the Pirates movies, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, um, also, so actually, the moment that broke me came before Sherlock brandishing a Jambia dagger. The moment that broke me was when they're in his mind palace together and they solve a crime that was committed via boomerang. Which, if that combination of words sounds like a fever dream, it is. But also, where was I wrong? I'm trying to figure out if that was actually in... A real story of Sherlock Holmes. I mean, the boomerang probably was. I think I think the boomerang was actually in something because it was the 1900s. You are not going to tell me in 20 (laughs) that someone dies via boomerang. You're not. I refuse. I mean, especially where you're going to get a good boomerang. Like if you buy one in Australia, for the most part. It's not used for hunting. It's used for tourists. Right. Where are you finding a weaponized boomerang? (laughs) And how are you so good with a boomerang the very first time that you throw it that it comes back and hits you in the head? Right. How are you so good and so bad at boomeranging? I'm so tired. How unfortunate. First time you're like, yeah, I'm great with a boomer thud. Like, anyway. Oh, my God. Should we talk about our resources a little we bit? Um, Spark Notes, as always, is amazing for when you're like, 
I need some really funny literature memes and also I need you to give me the summary of this mm-hmm. so that I make sure I'm keeping all the details. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a biography of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle on YouTube that I will link. Be aware that it basically devolves into just basically Sherlock Holmes at the end. It's uh, oh, yeah. the first half is like information about his life and then it's like Sherlock and it's like okay great. Um, there is a thing from yourstory.com with interesting facts about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle mm-hmm. where we got the information about him being on the cricket team with J.M. Barry, uh, which is a certifiable fact. It is. Good job. Um, we'll make sure to include the information from about El Negro from Ask a Mortician. Um, I'm still angry about that. I am going to include a quick link on Adrian Conan Doyle, which is his son talking about his dad being into spiritualism. And I will get you guys a documentary on Piltdown Man because, uh, yeah, let's talk about uh, conspiracies. Um, did we a- did we ask the most important question of our episodes, which is, uh, did we have to read this in school? We did not have to read this in school, but I also went to school in California. So, so I don't know if that tells you anything, but I read it for fun. I also did not have to read this for school, but did read it for fun. Thank you, Wishbone. Um, I wonder if we could like send a message to the owner of the ranch uh, soccer is buried on and be like, look, we are the host of a literary podcast and we would like to send your dead dog a flower. Will you please put a flower on your dead dog's grave for us? And if they will think we're crazy. (laughs) It's probably been about 20 years and it still hurts, but... And, and more importantly, will they answer that message and will they think we're crazy? <laughs> I mean, they probably will think we're crazy. It's like, hello, we are the host of a literary podcast and we would very much like to honor your dead dog named Soccer. Soccer. He was beautiful. Wishbone was beautiful. He was a beautiful dog. Um, so we don't have to read this in school. Our next book, as we continue to celebrate my birth month, will be A Doll's House by Heinrich Ibsen. I am so excited. So I didn't know what you were doing until I went through the outline, like right before we started. And I was like, yes, I haven't read this since college. So I've not read this since high school. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, so here are all the places that you can find us. Tori. Unfortunately required reading on Facebook. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. RR on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Fortunately required on Instagram where we put all the food pictures mm-hmm. and then if you're like me and you're lazy and you just want one central hub unfortunately required reading.com mm-hmm. and if you want to suggest a book for the podcast you can totally do that on social media or you're welcome to send us an email at unfortunately required reading at gmail.com this is the part of the episode where we thank our sponsors if you would like to continue to make sure that the wine and cheese fund does stay plentiful during these trying times you are welcome to support us on our anchor page we appreciate all the support that we get both monetary and not also um some twitter housekeeping we are dangerously close to a thousand followers at 944. Woo! so at a thousand i feel like we'll probably do something cool um we also need to get Okay, so we've made several allusions to the bad woman. Now, we have a long-running tradition on this podcast that we sort authors, but the bad woman is bad. (laughs) Do we continue our tradition and ignore the bad woman, or do we find a new tradition because of the bad woman? 
That's an excellent question. For those of you wondering what the hell we're talking about, if you're not part of this, Amanda and I are both very proud Slytherins, um, which is one of the houses in Harry Potter, if you are living under a rock, um, as written by J.K. Rowling. The Bad Woman. Um, The Bad Woman. Lately, she has found it necessary to shoot off at the mouth about people who are transgender. and it's yeah. a little hard right now because I know yeah. a lot of people who are very gender fluid, who are transgender, who grew up with Harry Potter as kind of a support system for a world that treated them like crap. Your, your, one of your hosts is one of those people. <laughs> yeah. I was going to let you say it if you wanted to. Um, but at the same thing, it's like, it's one of those do we go with the death of the author where this is no longer her work? This is something mm-hmm. that we have taken on upon ourselves or mm-hmm. do we start a new tradition? And well, we the problem of your recommendations, we would, I will say the only thing that's making me reconsider is Lindsay Ellis did a great video on death of the author. And she maintains that in this instance, you can't death of the author. This is because... this the rolling boogaloo. Yes. Put that in our, which is a great uh, YouTube title of, where you can't death of the author this because are still supporting it still adds to her capital and adds to her influence and it's that influence that she's now weaponizing and using against the trans community so as much as i would love to death of the author this and say that this is ours by still receiving gifts that are harry potter that's still giving her money which lets her do bad things, basically. So ethically, I'm not sure if we can death of the author this. I want to very much because I love Harry Potter, but that video that Lindsay Ellis did actually brought up some great points of, I'm not sure if this is a good death of the author candidate, almost in a way like, like almost like an eating at Chick-fil-A kind of thing. You know, it's like, and, and I say that in the sense that I am not here to judge anyone who thinks that you can. I'm still unsure. Like, I just got a beautiful house crest blanket for my birthday that I was showing Tori. And I'm proud of it. And I drape myself in it. I'm proud to be a Slytherin. I've been proud to be a Slytherin for years. I'm not proud of what the bad woman has done. And it's frankly upsetting and concerning. So we as podcasters would like your influence and your uh ideas on that because i would not want to perpetuate something that is negative and is harmful to our listeners by continuing to talk about the bad woman or if you're okay with it and you think the author is dead long live the author and we get to keep doing this we will maybe next we'll start sorting them into game of thrones houses or something i I was just thinking i mean we are technically the house tyrell Yes. I like how you didn't even fight it. You're like, no, Elena Tyrell is like part of you. Oh, oh no, I am obviously, I'm obviously Elena Tyrell. Like, obviously, like I have just embraced that. I've everything I've read about, everything I've read and seen about Elena Tyrell. Like, that's me. <laughs> so, fun fact, my so I was doing like a my my best friend Carlos. He was actually super into Game of Thrones, and he knew that I didn't like it, but. I was doing my deep dive and he said like one of the first days that I was doing my deep dive, he's like, 
I think that you're a Tyrell. Like, kind of like apropos of nothing, he's like, I think you're in house Tyrell. I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means, but fine. So I did like all this research and I remember messaging him like, you son of a bitch. You're right. I am. Because, so in my collecting of wax seals, which I'm now up to four, I now have four wax seals. Fancy. uh, I got a cherry blossom one. Um, My first wax seal and the one that I've always, like this is my moniker, has been a Tudor rose with black wax. That has always been like the, this is like the seal of my house. The Tudor rose is also the segment of House Tyrell. So even before, even before all of it, I was clearly House Tyrell. But um, that's a very long-winded discussion on the bad woman and death of the author that I wasn't hoping to have. Uh, but I would feel bad if we continue to sort authors and it upsets someone. If you don't care, just say you don't care and that's fine. We'll keep doing what we do. So I think both of us, and please let me know if I'm speaking for you inappropriately, we are both sort of on the fence of the author is dead and Harry Potter belongs to us. Like, we're both on that side of the fence. Yeah. I was. Now I'm like, uh-uh. Yeah, I'm kind of... Thanks, Lindsay Ellis, for ruining another thing, but also thanks for ruining another thing. Because the woman is bad. Um, (laughs) So, so, uh, with that in mind, this is where I ask you all, dear listeners, to go read a book.